what if you handle every difficult conversation like it was a hostage negotiation? And what if you handled every employee who is involved with that difficult conversation? What if you handled each of them like a hostage taker by subordinating yourself and not thinking it's all about you and your goal or your objective? Welcome to the Impact of Leadership podcast brought to you by CCB Technology. I'm your host, Steve Shear, and this is the podcast where we believe that nobody drifts into excellence. Join me as I work to figure this leadership thing out on purpose. Just this last week, I listened to John Maxwell's leadership podcast, and he had a phrase that made me think differently about our intro, and he said he's never experienced anyone that has procrastinated their way into success or done anything of significance by procrastinating their way there. Love that stuff. So let's jump into this week's episode. Derek Gaunt. He is the author of Ego Authority Failure. He is a retired hostage negotiator and he's taking the principles that he learned while on the force and putting them into business. So you're gonna hear practical application from this guy. I had a ton of questions, so pay attention, take notes, and and give me feedback. I wanna hear what you think about it. So here it is, the conversation with Derek Gaunt regarding humility, ego, authority, and failure. So Derek, thank you so much for taking time to do this. Um, I appreciate, I know that you are super busy with the, the book and the tour that you're doing and all of that. So I, I, I really am looking forward to jumping into this. Um, so let's just get to it, make the most of the time that we have together. The title grabbed my attention immediately and the title of your book is Ego, Authority, failure, using emotional intelligence like a hostage negotiator to succeed as a leader. So right off the bat, if you could just give us a rundown for myself included and those that are listening in that maybe haven't uh, read the book, how does a hostage negotiator utilize emotional intelligence? There are a couple of ways that we engage in the use of emotional intelligence. First of all, um, we, we train ourselves to understand that it's not about us and where we want the discussion to go. It's not about our goal and objective. It's about the perspective of the other side. And as such, we have to subordinate ourselves to the hostage taker and, and, and handle them with a certain amount of deference and, and thoughtfulness in order for us to lower their emotional state and return them to a normal functioning level. Uh, and it's, it's, it's a sequential process and it's something that can't be rushed. And at the same time, we've got to keep our own emotions in check because we are often faced with individuals who are yelling and screaming and cussing at us and calling us everything but children of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we, we have to remain, in, uh, like I used to say to the, to the team, stay in your chair, stay seated. Uh, we have specific skills that we can use to, to mitigate the attacks that we are going to be subjected to. But uh, the one thing that we can't do is let our emotions get out of whack uh, because if you can't control your emotions, you can't control, control the situation and you ultimately become part of the problem. There is so much to unpack there. And I know that uh, uh, in your in your book, you talked so much about that very thing of keeping your emotions in check. And um, personally, for me, I I loved the way that you set up the uh, tactical approach in leadership and the functional side by way of uh, using real experiences that you went through um, in very, very high stakes negotiations. And so um, if you're, if you're listening in, you're not familiar with this book, I, I 
suggest you pick this thing up because there's a ton there. So let's jump into, we're not going to touch on everything, but let's jump into then what you just talked about. So um, some signs for us that like we are not just in, uh, in, we're not just engaging in in a conversation because in the book you reference this a lot that uh, we're now stepping into a negotiation. So for for those of us like myself, I lead a sales team um, and I found a lot of value in the application from your writings into what I do on a daily basis. But again, what are some signs that we should look for that do indicate that we're not just engaging in conversation, but we're now stepping into negotiation? So it's, it's real simple. Anytime you're driving for a yes from someone else, regardless of the circumstance, you're in a negotiation. Anytime you're trying to get compliance from someone, whether it's telling one of your downliners that you want them to engage a specific client or you're telling your your wife or your husband or your significant other that uh, you would rather go to see this movie as opposed to that movie, you're engaged in a negotiation because you're driving for a yes. You're trying to move them from one point to another. And uh, it, it requires you to have a real good understanding of how they view the lay of the land. As you're driving for this yes, what are the negative opinions, assumptions, and impressions they're going to have about you as you drive for this yes? What problems are, are you going to cause for them when you're driving for the yes? So we get so caught up in wanting to keep um, the mission of the organization top of mind, and you should, but it should not supersede how your words how the action, how your behavior is going to impact those you have influence over. Mm-hmm. One of the questions I was looking forward to asking you is then, again, tying back into uh, that you're driving for a yes, uh, whether it's part of your job or you're, you know, you're married and you want to go to a movie, a certain movie. How do you coach people then to differentiate between negotiation and manipulation or negotiating and manipulating? Negotiation is a difficult, uh, it's just a difficult conversation. It's a difficult conversation that we gain, that we engage in in order to gather information to influence the other side, to build rapport so that we have that trust based influence so that we can get them to do, uh, something that's going to benefit you both. And therein lies the difference between the black swan method and manipulation. The biggest differentiator in that is what's the intent of the speaker? What is the intent? What is what is your intent when you engage in these difficult conversations? Is it to get over on the other side? Um, is it to push them into a corner so that they feel they have nowhere else to go and ultimately comply with whatever it is that you guys are, are talking about? And if your intent is to make yourself better in the situation, regardless of how it impacts the other side, then you're manipulating. But if you're engaging in the conversation in an altruistic way, to influence them into making a choice, a decision, then it's not manipulation. That's the difference between negotiation and, and manipulation. That's the difference between influence and manipulation. It's the it's the intent of the speaker. And that's very encouraging to me because I was following uh, the thread through through your book. You make it very easy uh, to see what you're trying to point out and what you're trying to say. So trust uh, as a basis and building on top of that trust and, and what is your the intention of the speaker. That's that's great. That's valuable information. That's valuable. Uh, but if you're not trustworthy, how can you actually, you know, care about the other people on the other end of the negotiation itself? So then 
within leadership, um, which is obviously what this book is is about and how to apply it, what are some of the biggest pitfalls that you've seen when it comes to an effective leader or effective leadership and negotiation? Some of the pitfalls that I see with leaders is the two, the first two words in the book, ego and authority. Mm-hmm. Ego and they're the mother and father of toxic leadership. There's no way around it. Ego is an emotion tied to self-image and authority supports and feeds ego. Now, that's not to say that ego and authority are necessarily bad things. Um, there are times when your ego and authority should be front and center. Um, when there's an exigent circumstance, when there's a sense of urgency, um, your ego and authority should be on on display. Uh, but the, the, the fact of the matter is most of us are not operating every working hour under a cloud of urgency, under a cloud of exigency. And so we don't have to push too hard. We don't have to make decisions right away. And we can take time to see how the message or your behavior is going to impact your direct reports. And the, the, the other pitfall uh, that I see is, um, I talked about it in the book, the problem of the blue flamer. The, mm-hmm. the, the, man, the man or woman who spends, doesn't spend a lot of time at one level before they're elevated to the next level. Uh, mm-hmm. And they, they don't gain a lot of institutional experience uh, as they rise through the ranks. And they tend to overcompensate by that by using a heavy-handed micromanaging uh, style of leadership to help mitigate, in their minds, their lack of institutional knowledge and experience. Um, and it's, it's all about feeding that self-image. And, and, and that ego, it rests comfort, comfortably in the uh, amygdala. And when it's threatened, that amygdala fires up. And if you can think of the brain as being covered with a cloud, that, it, it, that amygdala releases that cloud, it blocks, it blocks the prefrontal lobe, and, and your cognitive ability is diminished. Um, you touched on a couple different things there, but the image on the front cover of the book is visually pleasing anyways, but is that tied to what you were just talking about, about how the brain works and the colors coming out of there? Well, it's loosely related. Um, The left brain is our logical brain. The right brain is our creative and emotional side of our brain. And and more often than not, toxic leaders are engaging in left brain activity only. And so the purpose, the message behind the cover was the left brain on the cover is is, is black and white, pretty drab, and the right brain is bursting with color. And that was Mm -hmm. just to highlight the fact that we need to engage that side of our brain if we want to reach the level of leadership uh, performance that will create collaborative environments, create that atmosphere fear of respect, and, and change the morale and motivate people to become high-performing teams. Because your teams, all of those who are your subordinates, will do anything for you if they felt like it. And how do you mm-hmm. make them feel like it? Mm-hmm. You make them feel like it by making them like you. You know, there's a lot of talk out there. I don't want to be like, I want to be respected. Who says it has to be either or? And, and so getting someone to like you puts them in a positive frame of mind when they're dealing with you. And when people are in a positive frame of mind, I don't care who you're dealing with, subordinates, colleagues, or superiors, when people are in a positive frame of mind, they're smarter. 
There's just no way around it. There's abundant research that tells that tells us that your brain works 31% better when you're in a positive frame of mind. You actually make people smarter. They become more cognitively nimble when they are in a positive frame of mind. So as a leader, why not put your direct reports in a positive frame of mind as often as you can? It just makes sense. Absolutely. It makes good business sense. Fantastic. Right from the from the get-go, the dedication of the book um, dedicated to all toxic leaders. <laughs> Read and heed. You're doing more damage than you know. I start it. I put a note next to it, and uh, it makes sense. But what I wasn't prepared for was how often I was asking myself, is this me? The way you wrote this uh, is not just a <clears> – <throat> it's not either or, from, just as encouragement. To, to me, the way I took it, it's not just the brain, how the brain works. It's not just how the heart works and empathy and all that kind of stuff. But it's how, does, how do you function well as a leader? And then I found myself – seriously, I was on an airplane reading through this thing, and I kept asking, is this me? Is this me? Is this how I interact with people? So um, well done. <laughs> you, you got me yeah. as a believer. Um, one of the terms, though – that I'd like to uh, have you unpack just for you know a little bit here is throughout. It's it's a theme throughout, and it's tactical empathy. Uh, if you could unpack, you know what that means, the implications for success and leadership, and all of that. Yeah. Yeah. So tactical empathy is it's it's pretty much what I started out with when we uh, when we first got on the call. It, it's it requires the leader to handle their direct reports with the same level of thoughtfulness and deference as hostage negotiators do with hostage takers. What if you what if you handled every difficult conversation because you have many if you're mm-hmm. in a position of leadership, what if you handle every difficult conversation like it was a hostage negotiation? And what if you handled every employee who is involved with that difficult conversation what if you handled each of them like a hostage taker the same way that we do by subordinating yourselves and not thinking it's all about you and your goal or your objective? Yes, you are a leader. Yes, you're going to have to get you're going to have to draw lines in the sand. You're going to have to get assertive. Things are going to have to get done for the betterment of the organization. But too often we get the sequencing wrong. We want to throw all of our data and information on the table about why X is a good idea and that way and, and they should fall in line. And then we discover we get pushback. Mm-hmm. Yep. And we, we yep. get that pushback because we haven't first taken the time to demonstrate tactical empathy towards the people whom we are engaging. And tactical empathy just means uh, it, it's, it's, not, it's not emotional empathy. You know, I don't, I don't tell people, I want you to walk in another person's shoes. That's emotional empathy. And emotional empathy is a subjective state brought on by emotional contagion. Tactical empathy is the deliberate attempt by someone to demonstrate that they get that someone else views the lay of the land a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. And, if you, and if you get the sequencing right, tactical empathy first, goal and objective last, you'll get more bang for the buck, you'll get more productivity, you'll get more people feeling like they want to work with you on fill in the blank. So tactical empathy, empathy is just the deliberate attempt to not only recognize the perspective of your counterpart, but vocalizing that perspective. It's not enough just to recognize it intuitively and not speak it into existence because you haven't demonstrated anything. 
And at the end of the day, people love to have other people understand what they're going through, what they're faced with, the circumstances they're in, and the emotions attached to all of that. So good. Is it possible to then train people into better understanding empathy, tactical empathy, and learning this? Or is it just you're, you're either born with it or you're not? Now, now, there's some people that are predisposed to picking it up and demonstrating it faster than others. But uh, your emotional intelligence continues to grow and be developed. It can continue to grow and be developed well into your 80s. Your, your, uh, your IQ, your intelligent quotient, you are who you are by the time you reach age 12 or 13. It ain't going to get any better, but your okay. emotional intelligence can continue to be built upon and grow and strengthen. So the short answer is it can be taught to anybody. And I come from a, a background where we taught it to cops, and, and, and cops are the consummate problem solvers. You know, we're trained from day one. You're going to get into a car. The radio is going to squawk. It's going to send you to an address. You're going to go to the address. You're going to solve that problem. You're going to write a report. You're going to get back in your car. You're going to mark in service, and you're going to do the same thing over and over and over again for the next 10, 11, 12 hours. And I've got to take that rookie cop with that mentality who raises his hand and says, I want to be a negotiator now, and I've got to change the way he thinks about mm. problem solving. And so my point is, if we can do it in that environment, it can be done in any environment. Anyone can be taught how to use tactical empathy. Fantastic and encouraging. Um, last thing that, uh, that I'll leave you with, one of the things that I have starred and squared off page 66, uh, knowledge without implementation is pointless. So um, thank you, not just retaining this knowledge and just keeping it to yourself because uh, folks like me and I'm sure thousands and thousands of others are gaining from it. So thank you for, for writing this book. Thank you for taking time for the call. And uh, thank you for your uh, willingness to help us uh, all of us along in this journey of uh, gaining what it is to be uh, a good leader, an excellent leader, and uh, utilizing trust and our uh, checking our intentions at the door and uh, using tactical empathy to move things along. Well, I appreciate that. I'm honored to be a, a, a part of this conversation, and I'm honored that you feel that it's something that, that's going to help you moving forward because that was, um, that was the motivation behind writing the book. Well, thanks, Derek. I, I appreciate it. Thank you, sir. Okay, a short conversation, but a ton there, like I said. So I'm going to do my best to boil it down. One practical takeaway and one practical action item. So takeaway, humility has a backbone. Being humble doesn't mean you're a doormat. So the action item, tactical empathy. You heard me ask, how is this not manipulation? If you need to go back, listen to it. His answer is fantastic. But tactical empathy, to me, when people distill down large concepts and make it practical, I love that. So Go back and listen if you need to, but tactical empathy, how can we as leaders take empathy, use tactic, and apply it without manipulating our people? Okay, so that's going to do it for this episode. Before we close out, I want to reiterate that we do have a contest going on for a gigantic iPad. Go to ccbtechnology.com slash podcast for the details and to enter. The short version is it's not a random drawing. You can earn this thing. You earn points 
by your participation in the contest. So if you've already submitted your name and you started engaging, keep engaging because you're gaining points throughout the contest. We're going to announce the winner at the beginning of September. So get involved. If you want to get in contact with us further, ccbtechnology.com is a great place to do that. If you want to email us, impactpodcast at ccbtechnology.com. If you want to hit me up directly, Instagram at ccbsteve or on LinkedIn, Steve Shear. And as always, from all of us here at CCB, thank you so much for listening.